feel like that's the longest intro video we've ever had. You know, one thing you'll learn about Jesus very, very quickly is Jesus doesn't really fit all the stereotypes that we've placed upon him. We've turned Jesus into something that, to be really honest, as you read the Gospels, they're just not Jesus. Man, Jesus was all about breaking the rules. He he was all about not caring about what the religious thought. He didn't give two rips about the way things had always been done. In every sense of the word, Jesus was one of the first rebels who ever lived. He got here, he set out on his mission, and he wasn't concerned with whether that mission lined up with people liking him, loving him, hating him, eventually crucifying him. He knew what he was called to do, and he was going to do that no matter if people liked it or hated it. He was an amazing person, and everywhere he went, he taught one principle, shut up and love. It really, I don't know that he really taught the shut up part. I know that he taught the love part, but in my head, my Jesus... That rebel Jesus was kind of like, shut up and love. Like, how many of you have a spouse and, like, you compliment them, but you kind of say something negative before you compliment them? Or you don't really mean to, or, like, um, you you, you say something like, man, you did a great job cleaning the house, but it it was so filthy. You know, like, great that you cleaned the house, but, like, man, you could really let the house go. That's kind of what I'm picturing Jesus here. Like, he couldn't just say, love people. He was like, shut up. And just love. And when we grasp that concept, man, it is a game-changing concept. Matter of fact, dare I say, it, it takes everything to a whole nother level. I mean, the religious came along, and they had taught an eye for an eye. Jesus comes along, he's like, shut up and love, man. Just turn the other cheek. That was revolutionary in this time. The religious came along and said, hey, hey, don't commit adultery. And Jesus came along and said, shut up and just love, man. If you think about committing adultery, you've screwed up. The religious were all about the rules, and Jesus came along and said, man, it's not about the rules. It's all about the relationship. It's all about having a one-on-one relationship with Jesus. It's all about going around and spreading love. And we live in a day and time where there's a lot of stuff happening and a lot of people use the phrase, let's just love. But what they really mean with their action is that let's love if you look like me, you act like me, you believe like me, you vote like me, you live in the same area that I live in, you have the same skin color or the same sexual preference or the same social standing as me. As long as you meet this, 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 you cross your T like I do and dot your I like I do, hey, then... I love you. You say, no, no, I love everyone, but, but our actions don't prove that. Jesus made it very clear that following in his footsteps was not an easy thing to do. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. The world. I, I hate to burst some of your bubbles, but it doesn't just mean for God so loved America. Like, I I, I get that you want Jesus to be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed person, but but he wasn't. Like, no matter how much we try to Americanize Jesus, in every sense of the word, he came for the world. For God so loved the world. And then here's where the action takes place, because you can't love without action. He loved the world that he gave His one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. One of the, not, let me scratch that, not one of the most famous verse in all the Bible. Today, somewhere on your television, while you're watching football, they will pan the crowd, and somebody will have a sign up that says John 3.16 on it. It is literally the most famous verse. It doesn't matter if you've never been in church before in your life. If you don't know any verse, you know this verse. I've read it over and over and over, and it's a simple verse. But but I'm not sure we've 
fully get the full meaning of it because we're so familiar with it that we overlook the greatness of this verse. The Bible says he loved the world. He loved everybody. Don't miss this. He loved everybody, including people that he probably didn't like. Did you know you cannot like somebody and still love somebody? You know how I know that? Because my wife tells it to me all the time. I need you to know something right now. I don't like you right now. I love you. She always verifies. She, knows, she clarifies. I, I just don't like you right now. Why? Couldn't put that cup in the dishwasher? I was going to use it later. Can't pick up your underwear off the floor? I was going to use them later. Okay? Like, and then you know what the worst is when like, you leave your dirty clothes before, and they're like, are these dirty? You know they're dirty. You know I didn't put them up. You know I didn't take them. I'm sorry. I'm not saying what I did was right. But don't be passive aggressive. Just love. Just love, okay? <laughs> God loved everybody. The Bible commands us to love. The Bible doesn't command us to like everybody. There's going to be some people you just don't like. I'll be honest with you. There's people here today I just don't like. I'm not going to tell you who you are. I don't like them. I was in an environment last night. It was a very unique environment to me because there was a lot of people from my past in that environment. A lot of people that literally cannot stand me were in that environment. I made it a point to go shake every one of their hands. Hug every one of them. Man, how are you doing? It's so good. You know, they were all nervous. Here's the deal. Because I knew I was preaching this message. I don't have to like them. But I'm supposed to love them. <laughs> you say, that's awesome, Gary, man, that, that God did that. And that's why he's God, Gary. But I just can't do that. I, I, I can't love someone who's hurt me. I can't love someone who's hurt somebody that I love. I, I can't love somebody who's done me wrong. But here's the problem with that. Did you know that God says we will be known to others? We'll be known whether or not we're his disciples by our love? Our love is the measuring stick on how people will know we're his disciples. The Bible says this in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any of you today. And I'm not trying to talk down to any of you today. But there's nothing complicated about that verse. My Bible's just so complicated. I just don't understand it when I read it. If you don't un If you don't understand that verse. Like you're an idiot. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know, I'm not trying to be mean, it's, it's just not complicated. Like, if you don't understand what that verse says, there's something not necessarily connected in your mind that functions in a normal way. Because that's a simple verse. By this, everyone will know you're my disciple. By what? This. If you love one another. The measuring stick that people will see in us on whether or not we are truly disciples and followers of Jesus is how we love people. Even people we don't like. You can't read this book anywhere and find anywhere where we're not called to love every single person. We're called to love Jesus was all in when it came to love. His teaching was so radical that he was crucified for it. In every sense of the word, Jesus was countercultural to society, and it goes against everything that is in us today. How do we love those that we just simply don't like? It's not always easy, and I'm going to give you some steps to that today, but we're called to love. It's easy to love when I like you. It's easy to love you when we're friends. It's easy to love you when you're beneficial to me. 
But what about loving those that are simply unlovable? The Bible says this in Matthew 5, but I tell you, love your enemies. Does anybody have any enemies out there? Is it just me? Ah, uh, yeah. Man, I got some enemies. I got people that I dislike so much. I'm trying to love them. Now, I like the vagueness right here. It just says pray for them. Because they don't tell me how to pray for them. You know. So I pray bad things for them. But then I start loving them. And as I'm praying for them, the bad things turn to neutral things. And then crap, I'm praying for God to bless them. You've got to love your enemies. And now notice what it says. It doesn't say don't have enemies. Because again, you're going to have people you don't like. That's okay. The key is, is we're responsible for how we treat those that we don't like. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today. We're going to have a, I hope you left your crock pot on low today. Because, man, I, I put this sermon together early this week. I think it was Joe. It was in all. I said, man, I ain't looked at this sermon in about a week. This is, I should have turned this into about three sermons. We're going to fly through it. But look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. God, I hate this scripture. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, let me get a little bit controversial because someone just irritated me. So the person who just said no, that's why you're miserable. I can't see you. But that's why you're miserable in life. That's why you will never know the peace of God in your life. That's why you'll never know the fulfillment in your life. Now, what you can do right now is get up and leave, and I'll know it was you who said it, or you can sit there and realize you were just wrong, and I hope you get convicted today. Because now you've irritated me. Oh. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Big deal, you love those who love you? Woo! Big deal. Even sinners love those who love them. I am so irritated right now. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lead, if you lend to those with whom you have expected of repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lead to, lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Like he's like, let me just reiterate this in case you didn't hear it a minute ago. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Aren't you glad when we're unlovable that God loves us? Man, I don't know how to love them. They're horrible. We're horrible. Like, I'm just being honest. I am a horrible human being. But I have hurt... I have hurt people. Man, y'all are rough today. Amen. Preacher's horrible. Man, I love this verse. Jesus just hammers it home over and over and over. And I think he knew because we're so hard-headed. You do me wrong, I want to destroy you. I'm just wired that way. It doesn't seem very godly. I, I didn't say it was. I'm not bragging about it. It's hard for me to love those I can't stand. It's hard for me to love those who hurt my family. It's hard for me to love those who've ripped me off. It's hard for me to love those that hurt you. It's just hard for me. But I've learned I don't have to like them. I don't have to be around them. I don't have to do life with them, but I have to love them if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, shut up and love 
even when it comes to those who hurt us, those who betrayed us, those who have done us dirty, or just flat out, let's be honest, sometimes people do nothing wrong to you, and you just don't like them. Like, maybe you don't do that, but I do. There's just times that I'm like, man, I just don't like that person. I don't know what it is about them. I just don't like them. They talk too much, and they talk about this, and they, I just don't like them. But I got to love them. Huge difference in liking and loving. And we're called to love. And, and let me be honest with you, this is hard for me. I'm a loyalty guy, shocking. And, and, and once you do me wrong, I want you out of my life. It's just the way I am, naturally. That's my natural response. There ain't much that I'm better at than most people, but I can hold a grudge with the best of them. I mean, I can hold a grudge for years. I can hold a grudge so long that I forgot what you did to me in the first place. I just know you did something to me and I don't like you and it will come back to me in time. Just telling you, that's how I roll in the natural. <laughs> but here's what I've learned about operating that way. You know that when I have a grudge towards somebody, when I hate somebody, when I dislike somebody, it only affects me. It's not hurting them. The person I hate, the person I, I consider to be my enemy, they don't even think about me. And let me tell you how I know this. I was in Ingalls about three years ago. Somebody came up to me. Hadn't seen him in seven years. And I saw him eyeballing me. I was like, what's going on? I mean, I just knew their face. I kind of remembered them from my past. And they just walked past me. Go down the next aisle, and I run to them again. I said, got a minute? I said, yeah. And they said, man, for seven years I've hated your guts. I said, man, I'm sorry. The thought of you and seeing you still in this town just made me angry. And I need to ask your forgiveness. I said, oh, man, I'll forgive you. And can I tell you why I forgave him? Because I didn't know who he was. Seven years. That dude gets up every day thinking he hates me. Guess what? His hate wasn't affecting me. I don't even know his name now. Like I felt so bad I didn't even want to ask his name. I didn't want to insult him and minimize his hate. His hatred affected him. Didn't affect me. When you're holding that grudge, man, you're carrying around that ball. That it's like it's chained to your leg, and the other person's not even thinking about you. They don't even know that you hate them. I didn't even know who this person was other than recognizing his face. And yet he hated me. Sucks to be him. But sucks to be us when we hate people. Our enemies. I'm the one when I can't stand somebody, I get up every day furious at them. I'm ready to see them miserable. Someone told me recently about someone, they said, you know they're obsessed with you? I said, what do you mean? Man, they make phone calls and call people and they scour the internet trying to find, they, they can't even function in life, they're so obsessed with you. And I said, wow, what a miserable way to live like legit what a miserable way to live who wants to live that way it's so contrary to loving loving is so much harder but so much more satisfying god wants us to love even our enemies we think it's impossible to love our enemies but it isn't this verse isn't talking about some emotional, mushy feeling that we think of when we think of the word love. It's talking about just doing good for someone, wanting the best for someone, even when we don't want to. I think the greatest example of this found in the Bible is, is David and his relationship with Saul. Now, you need to understand something. Saul was the king. David comes along and he kills the giant. David has been told by God he is the next king. 
Saul is jealous of David, and it's about to get real intense. 1 Samuel, about 18, David kills the giant. All of a sudden, the people are idolizing David. Saul begins to get insecure. He begins to feel threatened. He he begins to to worry. He he puts David in charge of the army because he has no choice. But, But things begin to happen that made him feel differently towards David. To the point that he tried to kill David numerous times. He hated David. David always responded with love. He always responded in an incredible way, and Saul didn't. And Saul struggled with some things, and you got to get to the issue sometimes of why it is you hate somebody, to be honest with you. Saul struggled with jealousy. He struggled with jealousy. Jealousy, a lot of times, is why we hate someone. They've never done anything to us. We're just jealous of them. When it was announced that David had been given this high rank in the army, everyone was happy. And David's returning home from battle, and they've just won this great battle, and all the people are lining the streets, and they're cheering. Now, remember, Saul's the king, and the people begin to cheer Saul. And they're like, Saul has killed his thousands. They're honoring Saul. He's killed his thousands. Saul's like, that's right, I did. And they come back with the next line, and they're saying, but David's killed his tens of thousands. David's getting more credit than Saul. And that jealousy began to swell up in Saul. The Bible says, uh, 1 Samuel 18, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But with me, only thousands. What more can he get out of the kingdom? And from, what time, from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul's the king. You can't get more powerful than that. The Bible makes it really clear that when Saul became the king, he was one of the biggest dudes in the land. He was was a good-looking dude. He was a big dude. Not many people would mess with Saul. He had every reason to have all the confidence in the world. But they're praising David and Saul, jealous. And that jealousy turned into hatred. Jealousy will cause people to hate you. He was jealous that David was getting these accolades. So many people, you need to understand, so many times when people hate you, when they criticize you, when they mock you, it's simply because they're jealous of you. That sounds really arrogant and really cocky, but it's just the reality of the situation. You have something in your life that they're jealous of. There's something about you, and normally the thing they hate the most about you is the thing they're the most jealous that they don't have. He just does what he wants to do. He doesn't care. They're jealous that they can't live with that type of freedom. They criticize your marriage because they're jealous. They don't have that type of marriage. He's all about material things and money, or she's all about. They're just jealous that they don't have two pennies to rub together. Jealousy is a powerful thing. That they look at your marriage and think, man, they're jealous of the marriage, but they don't see the hard work you put into the marriage. They don't see the hard work you put into your career. They don't see the hard work you put into your finance, and they get jealous. I always makes me laugh because I'm in this industry right now, and it's like, he's an overnight success. And I'm like, I'm an overnight success 20 years in the making. They see the last year when I went public with what I do. They didn't see the last 19 years. They didn't see me coming home to my wife and saying, hey, you know that event we did? Um, I lost about four grand on it. And, and they didn't see, like, when I came back the next time and hit a lick and made a lot of money, like, hey, we finally made money. And, and in the next one, we lost all the money I made before. And we broke even. They didn't see that it took us almost three and a half years to tweak and figure it out to set it up to make money. They just see there's money being made. Nobody knows the struggle They just see the victory, and they get jealous of the victory. Uh, Another thing that Saul said, not only was jealousy, but he had, it was fear in his life. After David got back to Saul's house, Saul had these demons, and he was just tense and stressed, and David would play the harp for Saul to calm him. He was trying to help Saul feel better. He was serving Saul, knowing he was appointed to be the next king, but he still was respecting the authority in his life. Holy smoke, there's a lesson there. And while he's doing it, he's trying to serve Saul two different times. Saul tries to kill David. 
The next day, as an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul, he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. This was a normal thing. Saul had a spear in his hand. He hurled it at him, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with that had departed from Saul. Fear, whether it's justified or not justified, can motivate people to do a lot of dumb things. It can motivate people to do things they wouldn't normally do. Man, we live in fear of things that we don't even know are going to happen. Somebody new comes on the job and we begin to hate them because we have fear they're going to take our job. They're going to do our job, hate them. Like I hate this mic. I was talking to the guy the other day, and he was telling me how much he hates his ex-wife's new husband. And I was asking him questions about him. Is the guy a jerk? Is he mean to your kids? And everything he answered about the guy's like, sounds like the guy's a good guy. What's the problem? You know what the problem was? The guy lived in fear that his kids were going to love the stepdad more than him. Unfounded fear, but it caused him to hate somebody based on what the fear was doing in his mind. We fear what we can't control, and we hate what we can't control, and it causes us to hate people. So sometimes it's jealousy, sometimes it's fear. Most of the time, though, it's just pain. What causes us to hate or people to hate us is pain. Like when people hate me, I always step back and I, I, I remember years ago a phrase my counselor told me and she said, sometimes you gotta step back and put yourself in the other person's shoes. This has led to fights my wife and I sometimes because I don't intentionally mean to do this but sometimes those that are attacking us, I come and like, well, I can understand why they're doing that. What do you mean you can understand? I, I didn't say they're right but I can step back and put myself in their shoes Look at it from their point of view. Even though their point of view is skewed and probably inaccurate, I see why they see what they see because really at the end of the day, they're in pain. They're hurting. And I think deep down, this is the number one reason why we hate. People are dealing with their own baggage and instead of facing that baggage, it's easier to hate and blame somebody else. Saul was jealous of David's popularity. He was genuinely scared that David was so successful at whatever he was given to do that it was going to, that it was going to affect him. And it was, it was topped off by the pain of knowing David was walking with the Lord and he wasn't. It was topped off with the pain of knowing Saul's own son had sided with David. And they had developed such a strong friendship that they were like brothers and while Jonathan didn't want to believe that his father would actually hurt David, he knew that David hadn't done anything wrong to Saul. And the pain from Saul flared up against David. Saul's anger flared up, 1 Samuel 20. At Jonathan, he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Not a perverse and rebellious man, because I mean, he'd be blaming himself. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? When someone's hurting, logic doesn't do any good. We just hate. Saul was hurt because his own son had taken the side of someone else, and the pain was so deep with him that he began to hate for no reason. And when we're in pain, whether it's the pain from the consequences of our own actions or the consequences of others, people aren't likely to respond to pain in the right way. And it causes hate. So you gotta step back when you're hating or when someone's hating you. You gotta say, man, well, why are they hating me? Is it jealousy? Is it fear? Is it pain? And then we gotta put some things into action because you need to understand something today. Naturally, on your own, you cannot love those who hate you. It's impossible. We gotta, first of all, we have to find our strength in God. You can not love those who hate in the natural. You got to walk in the supernatural. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David and helped him find the strength in God. David being attacked, he's on the run now from Saul. Remember, he's been appointed the new king, and now he's on the run, hiding out for fear of his life, and Jonathan went to him 
And look what it says Jonathan did when he got there. He says it helped him find his strength in God. It, it takes a lot of strength to show love to someone who's hurt you. And the only place you're going to get that strength is from our Heavenly Father. Our nature tells us to fight fire with fire. You give as good as you got, but it's so contrary to God's teaching, that rebellious teaching that goes against the norm. When you go through the Psalms, you'll see how David found his strength over and over and over in God. Even when he's arguing with God, he's expressing his frustration. He's expressing it to God. He says, God, but you were there for me when I needed you. You filled my cup when I needed you. You gave me strength when I was weak. You gave me water when I was thirsty. You gave me meat when I was hungry. I find my strength in you. I can't love this person without your love going through me. You got to walk in the Spirit. So not only do we have to find our strength in God, listen to me, don't miss out on this. This is a good one. It's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. We have to have godly friends. Notice I didn't say we have to have good friends. Because you can have good friends that aren't godly friends. See, we have a problem with what we classify as a friend. We think a friend is someone who always has our back and backs our play. That's not a friend. A godly friend will come along and let you know when you're right and when you're wrong. <laughs> Not only do we have good friends, we have to have godly friends. I can't tell you, I can't stress to you enough how important it is to develop close friendships with godly people who can help you when you're struggling to do the right thing. See, the natural response is, is to get mad. And then we look for friends who want to justify our anger and encourage us, go get them. I got your back. I'm ride or die. We'll go right now. We'll roll up right now. We'll curb stomp them into the ground. Man, we'll take care of You want me to get on Facebook and fight? Let's go. Doesn't make the situation better. See, what our friends do and it's not because they're bad people. It's because they think they're helping us as they come along and they make the situation worse. They feed that anger. They fuel that anger. And you know most of the time why they fuel that anger? Because they're angry about something too. And misery loves company. They're not handling it in a godly way, and they don't want you handling it in a godly way. Because if you handle it in a godly way, it might convict them about the fact they're not handling it in a godly way. Jesus tells me, whoo, that's good preaching. You are now or you soon shall be who your friends are. I check every time. Let me go ahead and tell you how I scope all y'all out. Boom. New people come through these doors, I watch them. Because it's like they got radars. After about three weeks, they find their own. I can tell how people are by who they flock to here. They're troublemakers. How do you know? Because they hang out with the few troublemakers we got. Oh, man, they're workers. How do you know they're workers? All of a sudden, man, they started flocking to those that are workers. Man, they got it together. How do you know? Because, man, all of a sudden, they're drawn to people that got it together. Man, they're a hot mess. How do you know they're a hot mess? Man, they are flocking to the people that are hot messes here. Like me and Christine. <laughs> they hang out with us. I know they're in bad shape. Man, you got to have godly friends. Jesus tells us, man, we respond in a different way. We respond with love. When you're trying to respond in love to someone who's hurt you or wronged you, you got to have good friends to come along and remind you that that's the proper way to do it. You need some good friends that you can vent to and raise cane to and get angry with. And they're not, they're not going to get all fired up on your behalf. They're just going to listen and be there for you. Godly friends, man, you can't underestimate it. Look what it says about David. And Jonathan, Jonathan was his best friend. Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as a self. They made a covenant together that they were going to do life together. They made a covenant that they were there for each other because he loved David as much as he loved himself. David had Jonathan who loved him like a brother. And, and the, Jonathan, the Bible says, helped David Find his strength in God, even if it meant going against his own father. If you're going to respond to your enemies with love, 
and you got to have a godly person. Me and Christine always say, i got to knock on some wood about this. We're always like, we're real lucky that six years in, there ain't been a time yet where both of us are ready to go to war at the same time with somebody. That worries me. Because I figure we're going to run out here in a little while, it's going to happen. But normally when I'm ready to kill, she's calm. And when she's ready to kill, which is like, like it's, for me it's like 10% of the time. Her is like 90 because I'm more godly than her. But when she's ready to kill, I'm calm. I'm like, hey, it ain't worth it. Breathe. Breathe. Situation with one of our family members recently where he's been going through some things. And I was all fired up. He needs to go, bam, bam, bam. We'll go right now. She's like, what good is that going to do? Don't bring logic into this. I don't want to hear that crap. Has she been all fired at the same time I was fired up? Man, we'd all be in jail. You got to have godly friends. Hey, you know something else you got to do? You got to look to the promises of God. Look to the promises of God. One of the things Jonathan did to help David find strength in God was to remind him of God's promises. David had already been chosen by God to succeed Saul. David knew he was the next king. But he was having trouble remembering that calling in his life because the one that he was going to replace was doing his best to kill him. It had been real easy for David to be like, I'm going to handle this situation right now go ahead and become king. But Jonathan came along and reminded him. Look at what Jonathan said to him. He said, do not be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You'll be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. Even my father knows this. He said, quit worrying about Saul killing you. God's told you you're the next king. You can't be the king if you're dead. Don't you hate when they bring logic in? David's all fired up, and he's like, man, remember the promises of God. God had promised David that he'd be king. And Jonathan reassured him, listen, 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 listen. When God makes a promise, it's solid. It's a done deal. And when we're facing the actions of someone, man, who's dead set on making our life miserable, the only way we're going to get through that is to remember the promises of God. This book is full of promises. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. That's a promise. That's a promise that encourages me. He, he promises that when we're tempted to respond in a way we shouldn't, that he'll provide a way of escape for us to respond properly. He promises us strength when we're weary. He promises to avenge us. You know why some of you can't destroy your enemies? I don't know if this is very godly to say. You know why some of you fail in destroying your enemies properly? Because you do it instead of letting God do it. For probably the first time ever in my life, I've been in a situation the last year where I have wanted to respond, where I have wanted to attack, where I have wanted to set every crackhead in this town straight on the truth about what they've read. Every person who's left this place because they believe some junkie over the truth. And every one of you that still talk to them, you can go tell them I said this, I really don't give a rip. Matter of fact, make sure it's Facebook Live. And, and I've shut up, and I've been silent, and I've don't let this mic cut out right now. I'm too irritated. And you know what happens? God validates it every single, solitary time. You wanted to sink your enemies because you're too dumb to realize they can't swim in a sink anyway. Let God handle it. What's in darkness? Oh, I hate this when I'm the one in darkness. Will always come to light. That's the promises of God. Oh, did I sidetrack there for a minute? 
when we're suffering through the pain and the anger and the frustration. It's the promises of God that keep us going. Now, let me make this clear to you. Trusting God's promises doesn't mean being naive. God made promises to David about his protection. That didn't mean David needed to go in front of Saul and dance around like it was no big deal. David still protected himself. He still used wisdom. He, he, he wasn't unwise in his dealings with Saul. Trusting God and depending on his promises doesn't mean you're naive. Loving your enemy and forgiving someone who's done your wrong doesn't necessarily include blind trust. If someone rips you off in business, you can forgive them. That doesn't mean you go the next day and do business with them again. Okay? Don't be an idiot. God doesn't call us to be stupid. If you've been abused by your, your spouse and he apologizes and you to forgive him, but that doesn't mean you go right back into the house. You forgave, I'm going right back. Well, use your brain. Come get me and we'll get some people and we'll handle it. You're saying, God, I just said God would take care of it. Maybe God's taking care of it through me. I don't know how the Lord works. He works in mysterious ways. I offered this week to go whoop somebody. Twice. Oh, well, there we go then. That's the benefit of having my father-in-law too. I said, man, I don't got to do it. They said, well, you're the pastor. I said, well, my, my father-in-law's not. I said, do we need to tell him? Ooh, and they liked that idea. They were ready to go. Good thing Christine was out of town. All throughout the trouble, David, I love this church. All throughout the trouble, David was comforted with the promises of God kept him that way. Hey, we're going to repay evil for good. Woo-hoo, I hate this one. We're going to repay evil for good. This is where the rubber hits the road. I'm giving you a lot of information. I should have turned this into a whole series called Loving Idiots. I hope you took a lot of pictures today. It's a tough part. It's one thing to keep from responding to hate with hate, harm with harm. It's another thing entirely to respond to hate with love. I can ignore the hate, but now you want me to respond to the hate with love? That's what Jesus tells us to do. While running from Saul, while Saul was trying to kill him, David found an amazing opportunity. He found Saul alone. Unsuspecting. You know why he was unsuspecting? Because he was in a cave using the restroom. When men are doing that, we ain't thinking about nothing else. He sneaks up on him. And there's the king doing kingly things. And he had his opportunity. I mean, you ever going to kill a dude? Why he's got his pants around his ankles and he's squatting down? I'm just being honest with you. That's the time to kill him. Wow. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there. And Saul went to relieve himself. And David and his men were back, far back in the cave. It was almost like God delivered Saul to David. That's how to justify it anyway. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. When he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. I mean, they're coming up and saying, this is the, they're trying to justify it. God said he was going to deliver him. He's squatting in the corner. This is the opportunity to kill him. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner. He was so close to him, he just went and cut a corner of his robe. He was the pimp. And Rambo ain't got nothing on David. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He felt guilt. He didn't kill him. He cut a corner of his robe off to send him a message. And yet David even realized that type of arrogance was ungodly. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul, he got convicted. And he said, for this time, that's God's king. I know that I'm the next king, and when God removes Saul, I'll take my place, but it's not my place to remove him. Wow, David, man, he was godly. 
the perfect opportunity to get rid of the threat. He could have even rationalized it as the Lord's work. Yet he felt bad about it. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice? He's back talking to his men in the cave. Saul hears him. David, my son. All of a sudden, now he's in the cave. He knows it's bad. He's like, that's your voice, my son? My buddy? We good? And he wept aloud. You're more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, and I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemies, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. David repaid evil with good and changed Saul's thinking in the process. It's hard. I got to be honest with you. I had respect for my father-in-law last night. I was real nice to a lot of people I didn't want to be nice to. I walked around, I shook hands and kissed babies and hugged necks, told them how good it was to see them. And the whole time I'm thinking, I can't stand you. But you know something happened as I did it? I literally felt my insides start to soften. It was weird. And do you know that almost every single one of those people that I did that to went out of their way to find me as they were leaving to tell me how proud of the church they were, how they hadn't seen this side of the building, how, man, so, a couple of them said sorry things ended the way they did, man, but I'm always rooting for you. You say, I don't believe that, that they are rooting for you. I don't know. But had I not took the initiative to go to them, that wouldn't happen. It was satisfying to me. There's power in love. When you respond to, in love to people who hurt you, who cheat you, who stab you in the back, there's just power in that. It, it just shows that you're bigger than them. Wow, and it ain't easy. And last of all, I touched on this a minute ago, so I'm not going to touch on it much longer. Just let God handle your enemies. Leave the vengeance business to God. Let him redeem you. Let him restore your reputation. Let him deal with those who have tried to destroy you. The reason David didn't do harm to Saul was that he knew that it wasn't his place to kill Saul. It was God's place. Saul's repentance and sparing his life, Saul's repentance and sparing his life, here's the deal, was short-lived. He soon went right back to hunting David. And it had been real easy for David to look back and say, man, I should have just killed him. But he didn't. And just like before, David comes across Saul again, vulnerable, this time while he's sleeping. And yet again, one of his men tried to talk David into killing Saul, and look what it says, and we're going to get out of here. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of near the commander of the army, had lain down. So he could have killed Saul and the commander of the army. Saul was laying inside the camp with the army camped around him. David then asked all these people that I'm not going to pronounce, who will go down into the camp with me for Saul? I'll go with you. So David went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep in the camp, and his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were laying around him. He said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. He's even trying to coax David. Listen. I'll kill him in one blow. We won't make him suffer. I know you're not a bad guy. Man, I'd been like, do it. But just being honest. But David said, do, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointing and be guiltless? Look what he says. As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die and he will go into battle and perish. David said, it's not our job. God will take care of him. Here's the deal. 
God will take care of your enemies much better than you ever could. Let me also make this real clear to you. God will not take care of your enemies the way you think he ought to. We're just to love. I think I've shared this story before. I've got a buddy of mine. This has been about 15 years ago. And he came home. He was a truck driver. He came home, walked upstairs, and there's his wife in bed with another man. The other guy, my buddy opened the door. The guy was so afraid before he could do anything, he jumped out of a two-story window and broke both his legs. My buddy got charged with some kind of felony assault charge, though he never even touched the guy. The guy jumped out the window. Jumped. Threw him out. Whatever. And it destroyed my buddy's life. Destroyed his life for years. He served time in jail. He had felony. It was hard to get a job. He's like, I didn't even do anything. I, I wasn't the one sleeping around. And he was so angry. You know, his wife's name, he'd always say, I can't believe she just moves on and lives on and nothing ever happened to her. What he didn't know was I was meeting with her regularly too. And she was miserable. She was in a relationship with that guy now. And he was abusive. And he was a drug addict. And that many times they had no food on the table. I couldn't tell him these things because we met in pastor confidentiality. I couldn't replace those things to him. But every time he saw her, she made sure she looked nice and looked like everything was together. And he thought there was no suffering, no consequences for her actions. And there was plenty of consequences for her actions. They just weren't consequences he can see. You don't know what your enemy's going through. You don't know what the person you hate's going through. They just get to live their life normal. You don't know that. And it's not your place to know that. God will handle it. We simply have to love. Love. Now again, that doesn't mean blind love where you put yourself in a weird situation and don't leave and keep getting screwed over. Just love. Love is so much greater than hate. Hate's exhausting. Crap. Like, hate will wear you out. Just love. I don't deserve my love, no. But you deserve the peace that comes from it. 